Sarah Cunniff, a partner in the Asset Management and Investment Funds Group here in Arthur Cox. And this is our new podcast series, which we hope you'll find useful. You may know that we initiated at the start of the lockdown in March 2020, regular webinars to keep in touch with our clients, the director community and our contacts. The purpose of this podcast is to provide you with these updates in a revised format. So what we've done here is to provide an extract of the recording of the specific webinar on the CP86 findings, which was broadcast on the 23rd of October 2020, and in which my partners Dara Harrington and Cormac Cummins participated. Of course, there will have been some developments since that webinar was broadcast. And so at the end of the podcast, I'll be joined by one of my partners, Tara O'Reilly, and she'll provide you with some detail on what has been happening since the time the webinar was first broadcast. In October 2020, the central bank issued findings arising from its review of the implementation by Irish fund management companies of CP86, its Irish fund management guidance. These findings were the culmination of a three-stage review process over an 18-month period by the central bank, and the central bank identified significant shortcomings in staffing levels, the oversight of delegates, and the investment management processes for certain Irish fund management companies. Importantly, it required all Irish fund management companies to critically assess their operating models in the light of these findings. So thank you for joining us for today's webinar on Friday the 23rd of October, hosted by the Asset Management and Investment Funds Group of Arthur Cox. So the central bank communicated the findings arising from its review of the implementation of CP86, the fund management company guidance, in an industry letter addressed to the chair of Irish fund management companies on Tuesday of this week, the 20th of October. It mentioned significant shortcomings in staffing levels, oversight of delegates, and risk management processes for certain Irish fund management companies. The letter states that all fund, Irish fund management companies should take immediate action to critically assess their operating models and resources and government arrangement, governance arrangements in the light of these findings. Perhaps I should mention that when we talk about Irish mancos during this webinar, we mean Irish authorised AFIMs, Irish USITS mancos and USITS self-managed investment companies. So Cormac, perhaps first to you, could you explain at a high level what the most significant findings of the central bank are? Thank you, Sarah. Well, the most significant findings relate to substance and governance, and indeed come at a critical point as the European Commission assesses ESMA's recommendations on whether to overhaul the AIFMD and use its delegation framework. In its findings, the central bank has stated that all mancos should have a minimum of three FTEs, that is three full-term employees or equivalent to three full-term employees, that MAMCOs should appoint locally-based designated persons and other staff who have sufficient time to dedicate to their roles and responsibilities, including that of delegate oversight, and also that MAMCOs should carefully consider their resourcing requirements and governance arrangements and ensure that they conduct appropriate due diligence on and oversight of delegates. Okay, thanks for that overview, Cormac. Can you provide us with some background about the nature of the Central Bank's review? Well, the central bank introduced its fund management guidance in December 2016, and this is commonly known as CP86, after the consultation paper which led to the guidance. And the guidance became effective from 1 July 2018 for all firms in scope, being the firms you identified earlier, Sarah, Irish Usage Fund Management Companies, 
author, Irish authorized AFIMs and uh, Irish authorized self-managed investment companies. So the Central Bank conducted the review of these firms implementation of CP86 in three phases over an 18 month period. In June 2019, the Central Bank launched the first phase of the review with the issuance of an industry questionnaire to all mancos. The Central Bank's analysis of the responses to the questionnaire was followed up with phase two of the review. And this consisted of a desk-based reviews to a significant number of mancos. On-site inspections then formed phase three of the review and this involved meetings with 30 mancos. All three phases of the reviews focus on three core areas. These being the managerial functions of fund risk management, investment management, and organizational effectiveness. In its findings, the central bank notes that some mancos demonstrated that they were largely compliant with the CP86 framework. And these mancos have robust resourcing and operational structures in place that the central bank considered supported a considered and well-planned approach to the implementation of the CP86 framework. But many of those mancos that were largely compliant were those that were authorised following the introduction of the CP86 rules in December 2016. So Cormac, can you explain what mancos did the central bank indicate in particular had not fully implemented the CP86 framework? Well, the central bank noted that many of the mancos authorised prior to the introduction of the CP86 framework, i.e. those authorised prior to December 2016, were the ones the central bank has identified as having failed to fully implement CP86 and could only evidence the introduction of very limited changes as a result of CP86. Mancos authorized therefore prior to December 2016 in particular, we need to assess their implementation of the CP86 framework. So let's look at the key issues raised by the central bank one by one. And the first one is resourcing. So perhaps I could ask Dara to explain what the issues were, what issues were identified in relation to resourcing. Sure, Sarah. The central bank highlighted material divergences between the resourcing standards in Manco's authorised pre and post the introduction of the CP86 framework. According to the central bank, a number of Manco's, particularly those authorised prior to CP86 taking effect, did not have appropriate levels of resources in place to ensure the effective implementation of the framework. The central bank states in its letter that it expects a man code clearly demonstrate firstly, ongoing and effective management of all of its activities, including effective oversight of the activities performed by delegates. And secondly, that its governance structure, including its entity specific second line of defense. So we're talking here about the compliance and risk functions is adequately resourced to achieve this. The letter specifically calls out the volume of regulatory obligations that have come into effect in recent years, such as EMIR, SFTR, and more recently, ESMA's liquidity stress testing guidelines, notes that these need to be complied with. And when considering whether the MANCO's resources are, are effective and adequate, this additional regulatory burden, which will continue to increase over the coming years, is taken into account. So in connection with the resourcing issues, the central bank mentioned an expectation that all Manco should have a minimum number of three full-time employees. Can you explain this requirement, Dara? Yes, and, and I think, you know, in a lot of respects, the, 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 the central bank industry letter is, is a restatement um, of, you know, existing guidance in CP86, but this is one of the key issues arising from the industry letter, this requirement that a, a Manco have a minimum of three FTEs. So as Cormac explained, that's a full-time employee or, or an equivalent to a full-time employee. And each of those three FTEs needs to be suitably qualified. 
and of appropriate seniority to fulfill the role. Now, this is a minimum number. And the central bank does point out that this number, you know, as a minimum is only applicable to, to the smallest and simplest of mancos. And other firms will be expected to have a higher number of FTEs as determined by the nature, scale and, and complexity of their operations. Okay, but there are some things that are not altogether clear about this minimum three full-time employee requirement, Dara. Can you elaborate on this? Sure, I mean, th th there are a number of questions have cropped up and we have been discussing with our clients how best to, to parse the letter. You know, firstly, do the FTE need to be all located in Ireland? What is a small and simple manco that is subject to the, the three minimum FTE? No additional guidance, unfortunately, has been provided on this. We do hope the further guidance will be forthcoming. Uh, one of the obvious questions is, is a self-managed investment fund or SMIC to be considered as small and simple? And how do you apply the 3FT requirement to such a SMIC? So what did the central bank say about DPs and resourcing? I think they. this is one of the other areas where, you know, it, it, it jumps off the page. Central Bank says that a manco must appoint locally based DPs and other staff who have sufficient time to dedicate to their roles and responsibilities, including delegate oversight. And in larger mancos, designated persons or DPs are expected to be full time roles. The letter does not go into any further detail about this location requirement. So what, what is meant by locally based? Does that refer to Ireland? Does it refer to a wider um, geographical area, the, the EEA? I mentioned the European Economic Area or EEA because this is possibly one way to reconcile this latest letter with the central bank's existing location rule under CP86. And listeners may recall that this rule provides that for all mancos with a low or medium low prism rating have to have at least three of their managerial functions performed by two DPs who are EEA resident. We think certainly further clarity will be needed from the central bank on this as firms consider how this letter affects their own structure. Some additional issues and resourcing that are worth mentioning. Of the obvious one, the central bank does expect mancos to keep their resourcing levels under review, particularly as their operations grow in scale and complexity. All mancos should have a formally documented succession plan, particularly in relation to mancos that form part of wider groups Central Bank did note that an over-reliance on group policies or group delegates may indicate that a manco itself is insufficiently resourced. And a related topic of segregation of functions that mancos should not commingle staff in investment management and risk management functions. So there are a few other findings on resourcing, but we think that the kind of the two key ones to bear in mind at this stage is the three FTE minimum and also the requirement for locally based DPs and what exactly that means. Those are really the, the, the two big issues on that front. Thanks for that, Dara. So none of the headings in the letter relates to designated persons and the central bank identifies significant shortcomings in how those designated persons perform their role. So can you explain the findings on DPs, Dara? Sure. And, and as, as everyone will be aware, the central bank does see the, the designated person or DP as occupying a kind of a key role interposed between that of the board and the, the, the business functions of the Manco and, and uh, delegate service providers. The findings that the, that the central bank highlighted were uh, 
in many instances, poor quality of reporting from, from delegates to DPs and then in turn from, from DPs to the board. They also mentioned that there was insufficient review of monthly reports received by DPs from delegates and the central bank queried the level of independent analysis conducted by DPs of the information provided by delegates. And were DPs really constructively challenging those delegates and the reporting they were receiving? Finally, and, and one that uh, is not unexpected, the central bank pointed out that the time commitments for many DPs fell below their current expectations. So what are the central bank's expectations of DPs? At a very high level, the central bank says that it expects DPs should have enough time available to conduct their roles thoroughly into a high standard. But they should also be able to clearly evidence the value they bring to that oversight through documented board reporting. In practice, this will mean that firms will need to consider the significant differences that now exist in time commitments between earlier authorised man codes and later ones authorised post the introduction of CP86, particularly those authorised in the last two years where there was a material increase in the focus on time commitments and the level of time commitments required by the central bank, particularly for firms relocating in response to Brexit. It is a practical challenge. How is a firm to benchmark the time commitments of its existing DPs in older mancos? It will certainly be a challenge and, and we expect that there will be a significant amount of focus by firms as they develop their action plans on what their current level of time commitments are versus what they're seeing in more recently authorised firms. Thanks, Darren. So moving on to delegate oversight, the central bank identified a number of weaknesses with regard to delegate oversight. So Cormac, perhaps you could address what the findings were there. Well, there were several key issues identified with respect to delegate oversight, with the central bank noting a failure by many mancos to fully implement the guidance in relation to delegate oversight. And some of the specifics which they identified include Manco is being unable to demonstrate that the appropriate level of due diligence had been conducted on delegates, both at the initial appointment stage and on an ongoing basis. That Manco is being unable to evidence that where they relied on either group or delegates policies and procedures, that these policies and procedures had been reviewed and approved as being appropriate for the Manco itself. A lack of effective engagement with delegate investment managers, including issues arising not being resolved in a timely manner, and the receipt of poor quality delegate reports which do not allow for a meaningful review of a situation or an issue as it arises. And finally, Manco is not formally documenting service level agreements in respect of all delegated activities, leading, according to the central bank, to the risk that those activities are not either governed in an appropriate manner or indeed compliant with legal or regulatory requirements. So what does the central bank expect in relation to delegate oversight? Well, it expects due diligence reviews of, of delegates, including investment managers, to be conducted at take-on and on an annual basis thereafter, with these reviews um, being required to be documented. Where reliance is placed on delegates' policies and procedures, that there is a formalised review process to review and approve those policies and procedures, both on appointment and on an ongoing basis. And in this context, a key element of the regulatory calendar we've developed for, for Manco boards is the annual review of policies and procedures to ensure, firstly, that they are regular, regularly reviewed, and that this, this review is documented, and secondly, that they are refined or enhanced as necessary to ensure that they continue to be fit for purpose. In addition, the central bank also expects all delegate arrangements to be governed by an SLA or a service level agreement. And it also expects man mancos to ensure effective engagement with investment managers by challenging the delegate and taking appropriate action when issues arise and to be able to provide evidence of such challenge and action. 
And another heading in the letter was risk management. And the central bank identified that many mancos did not have an entity-specific risk management framework, risk register, and or a board-approved risk appetite statement in place. In a number of instances, this was due to over-reliance on group frameworks. So what does the central bank expect in relation to risk management, Cormac? Well, in this respect, Sarah, the central bank expects all mancos to have a, a robust, board-approved, entity-specific risk management framework in place, and not one which relies on, on, on a group framework. And this framework should include a risk register and a risk appetite. And the Manco board should be satisfied that the risk framework is fit for purpose and ensure that it is reviewed on a regular basis, and, and that means at least on an annual basis. Another issue addressed in the letter was board approval of new funds. CP86 requires that the board should seek a report or presentation from the investment manager prior to the issue of a prospectus on the launch of a subfund in order to inform the board of the investment approach that the investment manager proposes to take. So, Dara, what did the central bank find in relation to board approvals of subfunds? Sarah, it found instances where Mancos could not demonstrate that the board had approved the, the, the launch of the funds. In, in other cases, it found that the board was approving the, the fund strategy just prior to launch. And frequently, there was, there was no evidence of, of prior discussions to, to set or agree the proposed investment strategy prior to submitting the application to the central bank. So what does the central bank expect in relation to board approvals of new funds? Expects a few things. I suppose first and foremost, evidence of discussion and challenge by the board in relation to the new fund strategy, any related structures and their risks. A consistent theme is that the board needs to be involved early in the process. So for example, when first formulating the investment strategy of the new fund or prior to the submission of the application to the central bank, Central to all of this is the need for investment approach memoranda to be put in place. And we have been advising our clients to present to boards in advance of any central bank submission. Uh, and that, that presentation, that investment approach memo should set out details of the fund based on the description of the offering document. And then that this investment approach memorandum is reviewed annually to consider any changes in approach and to ensure ad adherence to them. Finally, where a fund is appointed a, a manco, so you're talking about a, a PLC or an ICAV that's externally managed, the board of that externally managed fund must itself approve the, the new fund prospectus, while in conjunction with that, the manco needs to sign off on the investment approach. And another of the headings in the letter was the OE director role. And the central bank found weaknesses in how the organisational effectiveness director performs the role in many mancos. Can you explain those findings, Dara? Sure. In many cases, the organizational effectiveness director, the OE director, could not evidence that meetings with designated persons were conducted and no formal records were being kept of those meetings. There was also an absence of formal reporting to the board, particularly in the area of resource evaluation. And what I mean by that is there was, there was a lack of evidence to substantiate a conclusion that the Manco was adequately resourced, just couldn't show any documentary evidence of that, of the review or analysis that was undertaken. Additionally, many OE directors could not demonstrate that they'd given any consideration to, to conflicts of interest. And, and interestingly, in relation to personal transactions um, as well, which is an area of focus that the central bank repeats in a number of places in its letter. So what does the central bank expect of the OE director? 
I suppose that the, the key responsibility of the OE director role is, is to monitor the adequacy of, of the Manco's internal resources. And, and maybe just to recap just at this juncture for anybody who, who's joined um, the, the webinar late, when we talk about Manco's here, we are also talking about SMICs. So um, firms that are both you know, management companies is traditionally understood, but also SMICs. So Manco is just being used for shorthand for that. So in either case, the OE director for such a Manco needs to monitor the adequacy of its resources. And in this regard, the central bank expects the OE director to conduct meaningful and regular, central bank says at least quarterly, meetings or interactions with the board and the designated persons. And these interactions need to be formally documented and made available to the central bank on request. In our view, the most straightforward way of documenting this is, or at least part of it is, documenting this by way of a quarterly OE director report to the board. Now, the central bank does say that it expects OE directors to report to the board at least annually, which is fine, but we think the quarterly report is a good kind of uh, traffic light or check that the quarterly interactions are actually happening. That report to the board um, should contain information regarding conclusions reached about resourcing and information regarding each of the matters prescribed in CP86 with findings and also time-specific actions identified. The OE director also needs to ensure that the annual board effectiveness evaluation is conducted and documented, and also the conflicts of interest and, again, personal transactions are considered on an ongoing basis. And the central bank also identified a number of governance and culture trends which are not related to CP86, but which need to be considered. Can you explain these, Dara? Sure. One of the things the central bank identified was that most mancos had not appointed uh, a CEO. In, in fact, only one in five mancos had appointed such a CEO. Central bank indicated that all but the smallest of mancos should have a CEO responsible for the day-to-day -day running of the business. Now, this obviously begs the question, how does the CEO requirement relate to a SMIC, which obviously operates on a fully delegated basis, really does not have a day-to-day -day business in the, in the traditional sense. It would be interesting to see whether further clarity is provided on that. On the issue of te board tenure, um, the central bank noted that two-thirds of Mancos had at least one INED with a tenure in excess of five years, and 28% of Mancos had an INED, independent non-exec director, with a tenure of greater than 10 years. So the central bank is now clearly saying that it expects that tenure and ongoing independence be considered as part of the OE director's review of board composition and reporting to the board. So in other words, does tenure of that length impair the independence of, of, of a director? We think that, that the chair, the OE director, will have a central role in assessing the independence of chairs. And obviously there will need to be a process for assessing the independence of the, the, the chair itself as well. The central bank um, obviously has provided some guidance in particular areas on, on the concept of independence and also the Irish Fund's Corporate Governance Code um, would be helpful here as a touch point in, in making that assessment. Other themes that the central bank drew out were instances of board minutes being insufficiently detailed to capture discussion and challenge. This is something we've heard time and time again over the last number of years, particularly where the central bank has carried out inspections and asked for copies of, of board minutes. So certainly the need for detailed um, board minutes and also record of challenge being raised um, by, by directors is, is very important. And then finally, on the issue of diversity, 
The central bank noted significant gender imbalance on Manco boards, and so there is a need for boards to consider gender diversity as part of their action plan to address um, this latest industry letter. So what are the next steps following the issue of this letter? Cormac, perhaps you could address that for us. Sure. Well, as we mentioned at the outset, all Mancos, and as we noted, that's authorised AFIMS use its Mancos and SMICs. Uh, so all these Mancos must carefully review the central bank's findings and critically assess their day-to-day -day operational resourcing and governance arrangements to make necessary changes to ensure the full and effective embedding of all aspects of CP86. Mancos must also develop appropriate action plans to meet the central bank's expectations. So many of the Mancos will have a board meeting scheduled for this quarter. What should they do, Cormac? Well, the Dear CEO letter needs to be circulated to the board as soon as possible, if it hasn't been done so already. And it needs to be discussed at the next meeting in quarter four so that an action plan can be worked on and put to the board for approval by the board by the end of quarter 121, with a timeline agreed for execution of the action plan. And Mancos should consider consider the following minimum requirements when developing these plans. The time commitment, skills and expertise of the Mancos resources, the division of the Mancos retained and delegated tasks and how ongoing independent challenge of all delegates can be achieved. How the Manco meets the requirements of the CP86 framework, including those requirements that must be completed on a fund by fund basis. How resources and operational capacity should be adjusted to take account of any increase in the nature, scale and complexity of the funds under management since authorization, or indeed the last time the Manco critically, critically assessed its uh, operations, and how resources and operational capacity should be adjusted to deal with the market, or indeed an operational crisis. And finally, Manco should also continually evaluate their arrangements to, to ensure that they remain and continue to remain fit for purpose. So what should Irish funds using a third party Manco do then, Cormac? Well, I suppose while, while these funds are not directly impacted by this assessment as it applies to the Manco and not to the fund itself, uh, the board of this type of fund does need to be satisfied that the Manco has an action plan to address the central bank's recommendation as part of the fund board's oversight of the delegate Manco. So just to recap on the key issues arising from the letter and what the next steps are for all Irish Mancos, Comet, could you just uh, address that for us one more time? Sure. Well, as we noted earlier, the, I think the two um, key areas of concern which need to be considered are the minimum of three FTEs. And that's, as Dara noted earlier, for small and simple mancos with greater expectations for other types of mancos. And, and secondly, the need for locally based DPs. Clearly, industry will need to engage with the central bank on these items to get a better understanding of the central bank's expectations. And as we noted, the central bank expects its findings to be discussed and considered by the manco board promptly and that individual action plans are finalised and approved by the board by the end of quarter one, 2021. Mancos will need to implement these plans during the course of 2021, so they'll have some time uh, during the course of 2021 to do that. As the central bank has stated that it will conduct a further industry-wide review in 2022 to assess the Manco's actions on foot of these findings. Thanks for that, Cormac. And perhaps I should add that we do intend to seek further guidance from the central bank on those two key points that we've discussed today what the full-time employee requirement means and what locally based DPs and staffing means. Um, and we'll be in touch with you again on those uh, issues through our webinars and our briefings. And I noticed we have a number of questions and very little time left. So perhaps I'll just ask one question, Dara, perhaps I could address this to you before we uh, close the webinar today. One of the questions is, how should an Irish Manco begin preparing its action plan? So perhaps you could just explain what we think cli our clients and our um, and Irish Manco should be doing at this point in time. 
Sure, Sarah. So, so I think, you know, as with a lot of these letters, first step is to carry out a gap analysis against the letter. As, as I mentioned at the start, you know, a, a, lot, of, a lot of the letter really is, is re- repeating guidance previously given. So we would expect that most man codes will be in, in good shape in terms of, the, you know, their, their, their governance, their, you know, their oversight arrangements, what they do in outsourcing and delegation. Um, having done that, that kind of initial gap analysis, then there'll obviously be kind of a benchmarking piece, particularly on, on the resourcing point. And, and we've, we've obviously spoken about the need for additional clarity there. Having done both of those, we would expect that um, DPs and the OE director, the discussion on it, bring it to the board. You know, there, there are meetings in Q4 um, at which this can be discussed, kind of having a preliminary discussion. And then after that, then, you, you know, as Cormac said, you need to flesh out um, an action plan and that'll need to be formally adopted in Q1 for implementation uh, during, during the course of 2021. I hope you found that discussion useful. As I mentioned at the start of this podcast, the webinar was recorded a few days after the central bank issued its findings on the implementation of CP86, and things have moved on since then. So Tara is going to mention some of these in particular. Thanks, Sarah, for inviting me to discuss what we've been looking at for our clients in the context of the central bank's findings on the CP86 implementation since our webinar issued in October 2020. The first thing to note is that the central bank required the boards of Irish fund management companies to adopt an action plan by the end of quarter one, 2021, to address the findings. Our clients have put in place that action plan, and this involved preparing a gap analysis of the findings against the current practices to identify the courses of action that needed to be taken to ensure that the Irish fund management company addresses the findings. The second point to note is that the central bank has recently requested from some Irish fund management companies evidence of the action plan that was approved by the board. So that would involve the gap analysis that we mentioned earlier and also board minutes documenting the discussion around the CP86 findings and the actions needed to address them. The last thing perhaps to note is that many of our clients are working through this process to address the findings. For the more recently authorised management companies, the action items were few, as they largely met the expectation outlined in the findings. And so the focus of those management companies is on the compliance with their framework. So for DPs, the need to evidence the DP meetings, calls and visits to reflect the role they perform and the evidence of challenge to reporting. And the same is needed for the OE director. There's also the need to ensure SLAs are in place with delegates and the requirement to consider and identify any personal transactions. More work has been required to be done by the self-managed investment companies, and many have decided to move to an externally managed fund model to address the minimum requirement of at least three full-time employees based in Ireland. This is achieved either by establishing and appointing their own Irish management company or by using a third-party management company. This process requires central bank review and approval of the amended prospectus and repapering a number of the fund documents, in particular the admin agreement and the investment management agreement, whereby the new management company makes those appointments as opposed to the self-managed investment company directly. It may also require an amendment to the constitutional documents if a manager has not been previously contemplated by those. The appointment of a manager also requires us to look at the policies and procedures of the PLC or ICAV 
to ensure that there are a number of policies that remain with that entity. But for the most part, the policies and procedures now become those of the management company. There is considerable work involved and operational issues that need to be addressed in reflecting the fact that the fund becomes an externally managed fund. To ensure a smooth transition on the appointment of the new Manco, we're having regular calls with the client team, the Irish Fund Management Company and the service providers to effect these changes. It's fair to say that CP86 and the findings have resulted in quite a considerable amount of work for Manco's and self-managed investment funds as they target the implementation by year-end. Thanks for that update, Tara. And thanks also to you, our listeners, to this podcast. We hope you found it useful. And if you've any questions on anything that we've discussed in the podcast or the webinar, or any particular CP86 issue you'd like to hear more about, please feel free to contact me or your usual Arthur Cox contact. Once again, thank you for listening and goodbye for now. And please do listen to our next podcast, which is about the CP86 requirement for the board of an Irish fund management company to receive an annual investment manager presentation. Mm -hmm.